Sandra sent a really nice PowerPoint, so I'll just read it to you. This is Sandra, sister of, raise your hand if you're a sister of, a brother. We got a lot of Eggleston siblings here. And she's with AWE WE in Peru. Sandra currently has the privilege of serving in three areas of ministry. Her foundational ministry has always been within the local church. She teaches the ladies' Bible study several months of each year and leads a weekly discussion group and disciples a few women. Some are new believers while others are taking on new ministry challenges. Several recently finished an evangelism training class as well. Sandra also ministers to women and families through Life and Hope Ministries, which includes the New Life Prenatal Center. She continues to serve as a volunteer at that prenatal center. The center has recently gone through a major remodeling project. The reception area now has a welcoming cafe-type atmosphere with small tables, as well as a large display case for the books offered by Publicaciones Vida Nueva. Their baby boutique has transitioned from a crowded storage area to an open area where the items are attractively displayed. Right now, Sandra is teaching classes on the home and family, as well as training volunteers in the use of good soil evangelism and discipleship materials. Her third area of ministry is teaching at the Baptist Theological Seminary of Lima. She just has a few jobs. <laughs> this year, she's teaching women's ministries and the Christian home. All of the classes are taught online. And right now, she's teaching the Christian home class in person as well. Thank you for your faithfulness in prayer and financial support. Sandra, how old is your sister? 78. She's 78 years old, and she's doing all these ministries. She works out of the church. She teaches at the seminary, and a lot of the people she has trained and discipled have gone on to start their own Bible studies, have taken on leadership positions in the church, and um, when God uses one person, he can do a lot of things. You know, if we just train the next person and the next person trains somebody, we have to pass that on down. And that's what she is actively doing all these years. And I just praise God for her ministry. Okay. We're going to sing number 60. You tax your singing ability this morning with a song you don't sing very often. He is so precious to me. <clears throat> Give me a second, I'll find So precious is Jesus, my Savior and King. His praise all the day long with rapture I sing. To Him in my weakness or strength I can cling. For He is so precious to me. So 
daily, but even if you do, a lot of times it's not an entire uh, book of the Bible or an entire scripture. And so especially when the passages are shorter, I like to read the entire book. And the reason for that is because oftentimes we just get like a little snippet here, a little snippet there, a little snippet here, a little snippet there, and it's hard to put the whole together. So since we're going to be preaching all through Second Peter... I'm going to read all of 2 Peter, chapter 1, 2, and 3. And it really does not take up that much of your scripture and probably won't take up much of the time, even though it seems like, wow, a whole entire letter. But this is what the church would have been waiting for. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. They didn't have social media. They didn't have anything else. They're waiting as a church to hear from the apostles what should we do? They probably asked questions, and Peter heard about these questions. Peter heard about things while he was away, and he wants to warn the people, encourage the people, 
help the people. And so he writes what we would call Second Peter, which is from Peter to the churches, probably the same churches that he wrote First Peter to. So this is his second letter to those churches, and it's being distributed. So they're getting a letter and saying, wow, here's a letter from the Apostle Peter. The apostle who walked on water, the apostle who chopped off the ear, the apostle who doubted Jesus and was forgiven by Jesus. This is who is writing this letter. Again, as I read it, just listen to the words that he uses. (coughs) Some of them are extremely kind and some of them are extremely kind, but they sound really mean. And what I mean by that is it's kind to the hearer to hear how terrible these people are. It is a kindness to you. For him not to hold back, but to instead say, I know these people look nice. I know it seems like they're nice, but here's what they are if I peel back the cover of these people. So you'll see as we get into especially chapter two, he kind of ramps things up. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. Because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were there with him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came out by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets 
among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, then brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that a righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they were stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in the matters they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish." They will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to be turned again their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on just as it has at the beginning of creation. 
But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward into a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and and forever. Amen. Turn to hymn number 598, Standing on the Promises. 598. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, standing on the promises. Standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing on the promises, standing on the promises. I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God, my Savior, standing on the promises, standing on the promises, I'm standing on the promises of God, standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally but a strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on Standing on the promises, standing on the promises. 
Certificates to give out. So I want the eight, if they're all here, young people and children who were baptized to come up here. All right. It's pretty exciting, isn't it? All eight baptized, a few. <laughs> okay, we can clap. All eight baptized, identifying that they are believers and giving testimonies. And so we have certificates for them. Salem Enter. <laughs> and Eva Enter. And Andrew Mentor. These weren't in any particular, in fact, Cheryl gave this to me. Sandon Bensink. Tatum Bensink. That was a pretty exciting month for us, wasn't it? All the, all the missions and then eight baptisms in the lake. That was pretty exciting for me. I almost went under. <laughs> so, we're very excited about that. Wanted to make sure we got those certificates to them. And we're going to have a short time of prayer. Is there something in particular somebody once prayed for? If not, we'll just go to prayer and get ready to worship and music too. Gracious Father, you're an amazing God. As we gave out those certificates, we're aware that you are always working. Even though we may not see all that you're doing, you are working in people's lives. And we're grateful for that. Uh, we are excited about what you're doing in this church today and uh, the way you work through the missions month and the people who are coming and just the, the many blessings you give. We're grateful to see people growing and coming to Sunday school and, and to church. We're thankful for all those things because we know, Lord, that we're aware that you are doing this work and we're grateful for that. Help us to be your servants and to participate and be a part of your church in the ways that you have prepared us to do. Lord, we're thankful that you give us the opportunity to worship you by hearing your word and responding to it, by singing together hymns of praise to you, by encouraging one another and loving one another. We're grateful for the many things that you are teaching us and helping us to live as you work out our righteousness here on the earth. Help us, Lord, to live for you 
Help us through our difficulties. We know that you have, are working, that you use those difficulties in our lives and others. Help us, Lord, to hold on to your grace, for your grace is always sufficient for us. We're thankful for this day. Help us to praise you now in song. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and we're going to sing Who You Say I Am. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in on his love for me. On his love
Okay, I think the, yes. This is our signing group. They're coming up to sign again. Holy forever. Oh 
so I don't need to tell you who he is. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles then to 2 Peter chapter 1. A lot of times we separate what is happening in the Bible with what is happening today. So we kind of think of things as like, that's a story from back then, um, but that doesn't necessarily apply to us now. Or we're much smarter now than we were back then. Or I have Google now. Or I get Fox News or CNN. So the Bible, what does it have to say to me? But it is amazing if you flip through your favorite TV show or if you flip through your favorite news source or if you flip through your favorite website or if you start searching YouTube, how many false things are being said constantly, just constantly. And what the Bible does (laughs) is it says this scripture here is truth. If you want to know how you ought to live, it's here. If you want to know what's being said is true, compare it to this. Otherwise, how would you even begin to know? If God himself had not revealed the truth to us, we would still be stumbling. We would say, oh, well, that's interesting that that works. Oh, that's interesting that that's the way that it is. But it could be absolutely random if there was no God and no law and no truth. What God does is he gives us that truth, and then he sends people, the apostles, the disciples, who are inspired by God to write scripture in order to defend that truth, in order to share and encourage with that truth. And Peter is doing the same thing here. And it's the same thing you need right now, today. So whenever the Mormon rings your doorbell, you know the truth. When the Jehovah's Witness comes knocking, you know the truth. And when your Catholic friends say, hey, Uh, remember purgatory, you say that is not true because that is not in the scripture and so on and so forth. There are so many, especially with YouTube, you can find this heretical group and that heretical group and they have a beautiful website. They have a beautiful social media presence. They have beautiful organizational skills. But what Peter is saying, but if you peel that back on the inside, it's a nightmare. Because they don't care about you. They might care about your money. They might care about your children. 
They may care about just sucking everything you have out of you to help them. But if you look at the disciples and the apostles, how well did they fare in their religion? For the most part, they were broke, beaten, shipwrecked, mocked, made fun of, tortured, martyred. That's not a good religion to be a founder of if you're looking for sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But that is what the world wants to give you, and that's what Peter warns you about, and that is in the heart of all of us. It's in the heart of all of us to want what I want, to have no authority over me, and when somebody says, hey, you can have all you want. You want to carouse in the daytime? I can give that to you. You want a religion where you can get a couple more wives? Sure, I got that for you. Whatever that list is, there is a religion out there that will give it to you, where you are God, where you are leader. Are you angry? Well, let's start a jihad. Whatever it is, there is a religion to feed that to you, as if you needed any help being sinful. And this is what Peter is warning about, these people who will make you twice the sons of hell as you were before. In this book, Peter's warning Christians about false teachers who are secretly creeping into the church. He tells people what they look like, what they sound like, what they're teaching, and how that contradicts the words of God. Uh, Like Jude and other New Testament books, warning Christians of the coming persecution or coming false teachers, this book starts the same way. And most of the books start the same way. With a greeting and an encouragement, and a grounding in the truth. Because this grounding is in the truth is the thing that is going to help you to recognize that is not true. What you just said there, that's not my Jesus. That is not the Jesus of Scripture. That God you're talking about right now, that is not the God of Scripture. Your leader, he is not anywhere in Scripture. It's an encouragement to be firm in the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints and that that is where you should stay and not depart from. And in order to do such a thing, you must know the truth. And so Simon begins just by saying, hey, this book is from me. This letter is from me. So he doesn't just say Peter. He says, Simon Peter. Most of my preaching today will be out of the ESV just because that's more readily available to me and on websites. If you try and get the 1984 NIV now online, it's like impossible because NIV basically wiped out all your pew Bibles and now they have like a 2011 version of the NIV and I would rather use the ESV so you have to maybe do a little translating back and forth but Simeon, or Simon Peter, is the author of this book. Again, like I said before, he is none other than the Peter that denied Jesus three times, even though he said, I would never leave you. He's also the one that said, to whom should we go? You have the words of eternal life. He's also the one that chopped the ear of the soldier. He's also the one that walked on water. He's also the one that was forgiven by Jesus personally. This is who is writing this book. He walked and he talked and he lived with Jesus. And if this was a cult, to a certain extent, he would be one of the highest paid members. He would be one of the people that you bow down to. 
Oh, that's not the way that it works, though. And I love how Peter will go through the beginning. We're just going to look at two verses. And he will just, for the most part, level the playing field for everybody. This is not just any Peter, but Simon Peter. The name would have been very recognizable to the people at that time, especially since this was letter number two from Peter. And you saw whenever I read, if you caught it really quick, he says, this is the second letter that I'm sending to you. His name would carry weight with the people he's writing to, and it would encourage their attention, their obedience to what he was about to say, because they would say, well, he walked with the Lord. But Simon Peter says, this is Simon Peter, who is a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter is both servant, which means that he is a slave to God. Okay, the word is doulos, I believe, and is translated both servant and slave, meaning that you serve a master. He serves a master, and that master is Jesus Christ. He's not like any other master. Paul's making it clear that the same master you serve, I also serve. I'm not second in command to the master. I'm not a high-ranking uh, slave. I am like you, a slave to Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Christ means anointed one or the Messiah. And what good news that is for us is that, first of all, there is freedom for you as well in Christ, not just for Peter, not just for the people that walked with him, but also for you. And it's also good to notice in Scripture that there is never a time when you are not a slave. I don't know if you noticed that, and I've preached about it before, but you are always either a slave to your sin or you are a slave to Christ, and God is your master. He is your Lord. All throughout the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, you could be a slave to a master, and you could stay with that master as long as you wanted. And you could stay with him permanently if you wanted to. If he was good to you and he wanted you to be around. And you could be adopted as a son. And you could inherit property from your master. Uh, to us, it's very pejorative, especially in 2023. Uh, but all throughout scripture, they are proud to say, I am a slave to the greatest master. Once I was a slave to sin and my master was terrible. He gave me everything I ever wanted, and I got no better, is what my sin did. But with this master, he knows everything that I need. He knows all my desires, and he knows the ones that are right, and he fulfills those in himself. Not only is my master uh, someone who I love, but also my master is someone who serves me, he set the example of service. A master who bows down and wipes the feet of his servants is who Peter is talking about. As a Christian, we have been chosen by God to be his servant and to serve him until the end of time. But also to this master we serve, also this master that we serve, is a servant himself. Mark 10, verse 45 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
That's Mark 10, 45. We have found our master, master to be gracious and loving and patient and kind and forgiving and strong and just and powerful. And again, if you go throughout Peter, what does he say? He says, your master wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. Your master wiped out the entire planet except for Noah. And the point of that passage is not that God can wipe out everybody, but the point of that passage is that he can also save you, just like he saved Noah, just like he saved Lot, who was suffering in his soul living with Sodom and Gomorrah. Also, we as slaves can be adopted and you'll see all throughout scripture that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. We are heirs with Christ Jesus. Peter wants it to be known that he is a slave to Jesus Christ like the rest of us, as well as an apostle. So yes, he was chosen by Christ, not because of anything Peter would do. We already went through his list of failures, but because Christ wanted to choose him. The disciples were not running around trying to find Jesus. Jesus went to them and found them and called them and they came. His claim to apostleship meant that he was one of the 12 who walked with Jesus. He was an eyewitness to his resurrection. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was sent with the power of God specifically to preach the gospel and to speak for God. Soon after the writing of this letter, actually, Peter would be martyred. Tradition says that Peter wasn't just martyred, but he was hung on a cross. And he wasn't just hung on a cross normal. He was flipped upside down because he didn't want to be um, murdered or martyred in the same way that Jesus Christ was. He found it offensive. And as the apostles were martyred or died so did the possibility of new scripture. So this is what you have here. No more apostles, no more scripture. And Paul is the last of these apostles. Notice as, as well, Peter does not just say <clears throat> that he's a slave to Jesus or apostle of Jesus, but he says of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes the distinction that this Jesus is the anointed one. Christ means anointed one. Or for the Jews, they would have understood this as he is the Messiah. He is the one to come. He is the one the Old Testament was pointing to. So this is who Peter is. So who is he writing to? It says he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. What you want to note is that whenever it says that he obtained this faith, it does not mean that we have somehow done enough to achieve this faith. That we have somehow climbed the mountain of our lives and grabbed faith. That we have been humble enough to get this faith. It says that we have obtained this faith of equal standing with ours. We have not worked hard and won or climbed and reached the mountain in fact, the word used for attained has the same meaning as casting lots or the will of God. It means that when the disciples were looking for the 13th 
of the disciples, they said, well, who should we pick? Well, we have a couple good guys here. They all meet the qualifications. And so what we will do is we will cast lots. That's what this attained means. It means that the will of God will decide who gets this position. And so they cast lots and the will of God did decide who got that position. The same here is the will of God decides who will get this faith, who will obtain the faith is what it's saying. We have been given this faith by the will of God. Ephesians says this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. I want you to see what you're responsible for and then see what God's responsible for. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. Here's what you did. You, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's you. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. That's you. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's you. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That was you. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Again, that's what we're supplying right now to God. Sinfulness. We are carrying around the desires or carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath. That is what you had to offer God. Sinful children of wrath, fulfilling your own passions and your own desires. Verse 4, but God, not but you woke up one day and realized, not but you, anything, but God, who was rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Because of his love with which he loved us. Not that I loved him first. Scripture never says that. But God loved me first while I was still in my trespasses and sins. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved. Saved by who? By God. What did you offer? Nothing. And he has raised us up with him. And he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. If your faith came from you, you could boast in your faith. I worked up enough faith. I studied enough faith. I got enough faith, and now I'm going to administer it, and now I'm going to be saved. That's not what it says. Even this faith is not your own. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works. Your salvation is not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. You have done nothing to earn this salvation. You have done nothing to work up this faith inside you. This faith is granted to you by God. It is not something that we force to happen. When we look at the kids being baptized today and we clap for them because it's a joyous thing, what we are clapping for is the grace of God in their lives. 
Had it not been for the grace of God working through you and working through them, they would never have decided to be baptized or to believe in the first place. And so our clapping and our joy should be in Christ who chose to save our children for himself. Otherwise, we would have the really good parents who got their kids up here. You know, the really great parents who got all their kids baptized. There would be this hierarchy of people. Some who have more faith, some who have less faith. Some parents are terrible, so you're probably never going to get saved. Sorry. But it's not like that. God decides who he will give faith to and grant faith to and save God who decides who he will use to work in your life. God decides when you will listen to the right scripture, when you will see the right thing, that it will so break your heart because he has decided to save you. Otherwise, there is a hierarchy of Christians in this church. It's a caste system. You're stuck there. You're a Gentile? Sorry. You're a Jew? Sorry. Your parents died? Sorry. Oh, they're all atheists? Sorry. That is not what Scripture says. There is neither free nor slave, male, female. We're all one in Christ, meaning we are all equal in our faith because it is all of God, 100% of God. We are saved by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love how he says this. He says, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. This is important because a lot of times the people would see the disciples and they would see them doing all of these things and they would think to themselves, if only I had faith like the apostles. How great did the apostles' faith work out? It remained because of Christ. Christ said that Peter would be tempted, but he would be held. That Peter would be held by Christ. That he would be prayed for by Jesus himself. That he would remain in the faith and remain faithful. Even Thomas, who doubted for a time, was brought to the truth by Jesus Christ. And so then our faith is not of the faith of the apostles here, but our faith is here. You have faith if you're poor, you have faith if you're rich, it's granted by God and it is the same value. Your salvation is just as great if you were saved 10 minutes ago as if you were saved 10 years ago, 50 years ago, 80 years ago. It doesn't matter. There's no hierarchy in the church in that way. In fact, if you have an elder or if you have a deacon, it's not because they have worked so hard to be the best person. It's because God has granted them grace. God has granted them steadfastness and diligence. God has granted them these things so that your elder can humbly lead and humbly say, if it was not for Christ, my life would have been a disaster. And it is God who leads us into sanctification, leads us into all truth, the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. If this faith had been initiated by me, earned by me, or granted by me, then Peter could not say that we have a faith of equal standing. Even faith is granted as a gift of God if you look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some people are given the gift of more faith. 
That's a gift as well. There's no hierarchy of saving faith with God because he hands it out equally in salvation so that everyone who is sitting here today has the same faith in salvation, the same testimony. I was once dead and made alive. I was once blind and now I see. He continues, he says, by the righteousness of of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is also such an important distinction from other religions who are trying to get you to be righteous on your own accord. What Peter is saying here is that you have an alien righteousness, a righteousness that is not your own. Any righteousness that you have before God comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And righteous means right living, obeying the law, keeping the commandments, doing all that God asks. When, when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I said, have you done that? All of you would say, no. Jesus said, yes. Yeah, I did that. I've always loved God. I have always loved my neighbor and the rest of the list as well. They're all kind of bundled up under that. And so your righteousness when you stand before God comes from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is no other hope. So again, if you stand here today in this church, there is no hierarchy of Christian. Any good thing that you have is from Christ. You have been given a gift to be different from the other people in here. Some people are gifted to preach, gifted to teach, gifted to give, gifted to be hospitable, gifted to be all these things. So we're not all the same. I do not have the same gift as other people, and you don't have the same gift of me, and that's okay. Because we're made to work together. It does not make anyone better. It means that you got a different gift than I did. That's all that it means. And in the end, even somebody who sticks out like a sore thumb in the church... It is only by the grace of God that any of us are here. If you mow the lawn by the grace of God, if you live till tomorrow by the grace of God, if you teach a Sunday school class or the nursery, doesn't matter, by the grace of God you do those things. And our humility then should fall in line. He says, too, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is one of many places in Scripture where Jesus is called God explicitly. He is both our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Messiah. And I am accepted by the Father because of the perfect work of Jesus in both his life and his death. You should be able to start to see here that this greatly undermines, and this is Peter's hope, this greatly undermines the false teacher's teaching, where they would have maybe more of a Gnostic view that you can get a secret knowledge, and there's some people in here with a secret knowledge, and those are the great people. And if you start to look at the Mormonism and the Jehovah's Witnesses, you'll see a hierarchy of people. There's 144,000 people who will enter into paradise, the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
Mormons, they have a hierarchy of people. Joseph Smith is the only one who get the special message from God with his special golden tablets. And if you know the right code and if you wear the right clothes and if you're baptized in the right place, you too might get a planet where you can have multiple wives and populate that planet with all of your spirit children in Mormonism. In case they knock on your door, now you know. That is not in the Bible. That is not Christian, whether they call themselves the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or not. It does not matter. And you should know, when someone says, you could be X, Y, or Z, you should say, I am but a product of the grace of Jesus Christ. No more and no less. I am a son of the living God, just like the guy over there. I'm a daughter, just like the girl over there. I am a slave just like all the other Christians. And this would help the people that Peter is writing to to see who the false teachers were. Now you start to recognize them. Like Joel Osteen's church where he's got the bright white smile claiming to always be healthy and wealthy. And you can do the same if you have enough faith. Notice the emphasis on faith goes to you. If you can be awesome, you can get great things. Jesus says no one is awesome, and any faith you have is granted to you by God. That should be a humbling distinction. But in a church like a prosperity gospel church, there are these levels of awesomeness. Oh, you can get all the prophetic words from that guy. That guy's totally wealthy, so he must just have the most faith coming from himself. It's a distortion of the truth. But again, Peter here is making a bold claim that Jesus is in fact both Savior and God. Paul does the same thing in Romans chapter 9, verse 5. He says, To them belong the patriarchs, meaning from the Jews, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. So what he's saying is, Jesus, who is the Christ, who is God over all, is blessed forever. So Peter and Paul and all the disciples knew this Jesus who is the Christ, is also God as well. He says in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter prays in the midst of his salutation that grace and peace will be multiplied to the reader and to you as the reader even now. This prayer continues. That you would have more grace and more peace in the knowledge of God, our Lord, and our Savior. If you want more grace in your life, grow in the knowledge of God. Study the word. See who he is. Obey the word and see what he does. If you want more grace, recognize the righteousness of Christ given for you. If you want more grace, recognize the amount of grace poured out on you, and then you can give that grace to others. Do you want more peace? Recognize that everybody is a sinner just like you, 
who has been granted faith and repentance just like you and cut people a break. Offer them forgiveness and hope and peace with God. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as you continue to walk with him and learn from him and talk to others who have known him and grow in him, you will also grow in grace and peace. And Peter will continue and say that you should grow in faith and then faith this and then this and then this. These things build off of each other as you come to Christ. You grow, you don't stay stagnant, but the Holy Spirit works in your life and God is patient with us. I hope today as scripture is read, as songs are sung, the word is preached, prayers are prayed, fellowship is had, that you are all growing then, which you are, in the grace and peace as we learn about who God is. I hope that as you listen to teaching of all sorts, whether it's teaching of the world or cults or what you hear today, that you compare what is being said today with the word of God. What Peter is reminding the people of is the only truth that will bring grace and peace in your life. And that is through Jesus Christ. No other way. No other false teacher, false leader. What peace will you have if you think in some way you need to earn your salvation? None. What peace will you have if you think you need to work up some sort of faith, muster it up in yourself, none. What grace is there if your salvation is earned by your righteousness and not the righteousness of Christ? None. How gracious is the man who thinks that he earned his salvation when somebody else isn't so gracious? You become a terrible person if you think your salvation is because of you. <coughs> Self-righteous. You might look pretty for a while, but it can only be self-righteousness. What grace do you have to offer others if you've been given salvation because of what you're owed and not because of what Jesus Christ has given you out of his own accord, out of his own desire? What grace can you offer those who have no faith if you yourself think your faith is a product of your own will and not God's? Peter would have you rest in the righteousness of Christ. He would have you find grace and peace as you grow in the knowledge of God. And if you are grounded in that, then when people come knocking at your door or your church or your internet, you can say, I know Christ, I know grace, I know peace, and this is not it. And if you'd like, I could share the truth with you. I've sat with hours with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Catholics and non-Christians and all sorts to share the gospel with them, and it's been a privilege. And it's a privilege because that same grace was granted to me by God. I was once blind. I was once lost. I was once dead in my trespasses and sins until he granted me faith until he granted me peace, until he granted me forgiveness, until he gave me grace so I could be made alive. And to this day forward, I choose to serve Christ. Let's pray together. 
Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Peter in the past, speaking to the churches, suffering in prison, writing to people all over, not even knowing that there would be a world full of people who would one day read his letter, who would spend time on a Sunday morning to read the whole thing and to divide it verse by verse. It was your will to use that man, to use a sinful man. God, you use sinful people to do amazing things to your glory, and we give you all honor and all praise, and may we offer grace and peace that comes only from you to others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 291. We're going to sing the first two verses of 291 on the second verse, if the deacons would come and prepare for communion. 291, verse 1 and 2. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day, still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground, Lord, lift me up and let me stand, by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. I want to live above the world, though Satan's darts at me are hurled. So our faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand By faith on heaven's table land A higher plane than I have found Lord, plant my feet on higher ground passage it came from, I'm going to read from verse 23 a little longer than we'd normally read to uh, cause you to think and prepare yourselves for communion as well. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the cup, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Now he's talking to the Corinthians who he had written a letter because of their sin and, uh, and others who had really hadn't came to the Lord were believing things that were not true and he's reminding them that there's several things that are important. Number one, you need to know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. There's no sense in eating and drinking if you do not know the Lord. There's no sense in participating. That's important. Um, then you need to have cared for the sin in your life. There were many who were not caring for it and were not taking care of it. Sometimes it's not, I almost said it's not that big of a sin, but sin is sin. But sometimes they don't seem that big to us. They were holding on to something, maybe a little anger we have towards somebody and we don't want to forgive them because we want to hold it against them. Maybe it's a bigger thing that we've done or, or I'm holding on to. And in our world, as Josh has said, the world's always picking at us through the many things that are available trying to cause us to sin. And before we participate, you really need to take time and consider what could I be holding in my heart that I need to get rid of, take care of? Our righteousness and holiness comes from Christ. But when we participate, we want to be in the right place. We want our focus to be on the Lord and not on some sin in our life. So the two things I would say is, please, if you don't know the Lord, don't participate. If you do, consider where you are with the Lord. And in the next few moments as we pray, get those things right with the Lord. <coughs> there even comes a place in a passage that says, if you're really having trouble with a brother, maybe you got to go to him before you do this. So maybe you don't take, so you can go and take care of it. So the next time you can participate. But you want to consider where your life is. And so this morning as we consider, and as we get to the end, We'll be able to rejoice and do this because one day we'll do it with the Lord. Let's consider the body of Christ and pray and consider where our heart is. Father, we have an interest in wanting to participate, to do this in remembrance of you as you've asked us to do. And as we think of your body broken, we think you did this because of our sin. Your body was broken because of our sin. The blood was shed because of our sin. You did this because you loved us. Now, Lord, help us to consider our lives. To ask you to help us win these battles. To take care of these sins. To, Lord, live in the righteousness that comes because of your Son, Jesus Christ, who cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So Lord, as we participate in the body, might we do it in a way that brings glory to you, and that is a remembrance of what you've done for us as you died for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
On that same night, Lord, as you hung on that cross and, uh, and you participated in reminding them of that, you took the cup and you reminded them that you shed your blood to remove our sin. As we considered, help us to celebrate the freedom you've given us in Christ, freedom to be your children, your slaves. Freedom, Lord, from our sin to live in the way that you created us to live in righteousness. So help us, Lord, as we consider that, to worship you as we take up the cup of your blood in Christ's name.
The same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Drink ye all of it.